This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And right now, their holiday menu and reservations are open, featuring an expanded menu of fully cooked items. They have boneless ribeye roast prepared sous vide style, roasted tri-tip cedar plank salmon, fully cooked North Atlantic lobster, which brings me back, a full menu of side dishes, and a lot of prepared home meats, desserts, and more. So the online ordering is available through December 22nd for all I just mentioned. Also, if you've got somebody that's a uh, cook or wannabe cook on your holiday list, Zupan's now carrying Finex cast iron cookware that is handcrafted right here in Portland. I have seen this. These things are amazing. They're gorgeous. Right. And look, the handles are great. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have to reach for a pot holder. Here. I want one and I don't do that much cooking in the house, but I'm just yeah. like, I would look so good in my kitchen. Uh, an in-store cooking demo is taking place this Saturday, December 16th, 11 to 4 p.m., and an opportunity to talk with Finex representatives. Well, cool. And who isn't a roast lover, by the mm. way? I like the prime rib for uh, I'm not raising my hand. Holiday. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so they have uh, two grades, black and silver, a Snake River Farms American Kobe beef style Wagyu beef for the holidays, and uh, you can order that in-store or by phone. They have a limited supply of Harris Ranch dry-aged Choice standing rib roasts also. Those are delicious and a little bit different than turkey and ham. Very nice. And also remember, New Year's just around the corner. Portland's best selection of sparkling wine and champagne, plus large format bottles that are perfect for your New Year's Eve parties. It's Zupan's Markets. It's the place you want to go. Yeah. And hey, by the way, on the, during the holidays, you're all going to be saying cheese, right? Oh, oh, yeah, of course. So while you're taking the pictures, you also want to order your custom cheese plate from them. And uh, they're made to order by their expert cheesemongers. They've got those three locations, McAdam, Lake Grove, and of course Burnside, and always online at zoopans.com. Time once again for a classic episode of Right at the Fork and Chris. This is, uh, we're actually not going too far back on this one. This is just earlier this year. Usually we're going back two years, a year, three. Mm -hmm. This is earlier this year. And and at the time, Trent Pierce uh, was, it looked like he was going to be opening row sooner than he did, but he just did. It's December now. And so December of 2017 and row 2.0, I think they're calling it just Opened again on Southwest Broadway, um, and uh, have not been, but we thought it was an appropriate time to rerun it, because, of course, not everybody in the world has listened to that particular episode. Yep, so it's a uh, rebroadcast, broadcast, of episode 117, but before we get to that, we should remind people, and if people have been following us on Instagram or Facebook, you've been telling people about these great trips that you've got coming up in 2018. Yeah, very quickly, because we want to get into this episode. But uh, 2018, I have a trip, the fourth uh, trip to Barcelona with Chef Jose Chesa of Atala, uh is going to be happening. We have a few guests in, and I'm going to talk about a, just a special offer we have, and also to Sicily with my dear friend Austria Ensign um, of Taste of Italy. We went to Florence and, um, and throughout Tuscany with her this year, and we have a few people who went on that trip who will be with us. And uh, also Mexico City um, with David Briggs, who you just heard on the podcast not too long ago. A few weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, of Chocolato de David, um, and Catherine Mantarola, who's a, who used to spend a lot of time in the Portland food world, is a native Mexico Cityan, 
<laughs> what, what do I we think call that? that? I think that, that works. <laughs> Mexico City native, I should say. And um, that's in late October of next year. The others are skirting September of October. And I'm only mentioning it because now's the best time, if you're interested at all, to give me a buzz, 503-208-4290. I've never put a phone number on this podcast before. What's the number one more time? 503-208-4290. And we have uh, up to $400 off per person now, which not is not going to be happening after December 31st. Mm. So You can also go to PortlandFoodAdventures.com. Right, where you're also seeing, we got two cool events going on. Yeah. Matt Sigler's Farewell to Renata on January 4th. Yeah. Last uh, hurrah for Matt. It was announced that he's leaving, and I was a little concerned when I saw that, but uh, Matt and uh, Nick, at uh, and we just had them on the podcast mm-hmm. too, uh, told me this will be a, a party for Matt and saying goodbye. And also, I scheduled a me uh, a PFA event, an Italian dinner with Gabriel Pescuzzi, who's going to be on the podcast in a few weeks. And subsequently, a week or two ago, he was named Eater Chef of the Year mm. at, a, at a sandwich place. He's doing elevated sandwiches, stacked, stacked yeah. sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's where we are. Beautiful space. And you'll hear actually Maddie, uh, John Bamman from uh, Eater, give that high praise on our next week's episode of Right at the Fork. I invite people to make sure they listen because we have some, let's do a little promo for what's coming up. We have some great episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Maddie John Bamman and Kurt Huffman talking about 2018. Yep. Before that, which we haven't recorded yet, is uh, Michael Russell and our own Gary the Foodie, yep. Gary Okazaki, talking about what has happened in 2017. And I just have a feeling it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and we, we know it is. <laughs> The Kurt and Maddie episode was that was great. We've, we've already recorded, and then we just finished recording uh, Katie and Sandek of Coquine. Yeah, great episode. And man, those two were um, were it was a really fascinating episode. I like that. And then we have Maya Lovelace coming on first of the year. So the next four episodes, uh, subscribe, give us a rating. Yep. And uh, but more importantly, stick around for a couple of minutes and hear this episode with Trent Pierce of Roe. Wow, he, he's dressed for success. He's dressed for spring. Right, yeah, I'm hoping. <laughs> it is the, you got, you're actually color-coordinated. And and not only that... I do. I try. Your fish <laughs> on your forearm yeah. is color-coordinated with the rest of your outfit. Let I, me get a shot of that. I make it easy on myself. I only wear... Orn, Orangey-blue colors? <laughs> yeah, blue, blue, black. Does that make it easier on you orangey. or harder on yourself? Because at a certain point, you're just kind of like, oh, I want to do something different, Bob. But no. It, but it doesn't match it's the one, fish. It's it's uh it's much easier uh, to decide what to wear when, right? I have like five pairs of this kind of pants, <laughs> you know. So does it get hot back there in the uh, in the kitchen? No, it's not really. Doesn't get hot Our for kitchen? you. No. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, You're probably one of the coolest chefs in town. I am one of the coolest chefs in town. <laughs> I mean, in probably more ways than <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Yeah, yeah. but you know, I we definitely I, uh, have one of the the chillier kitchens, I guess you would say. Yeah, because all you got, what you got a hot plate. Yeah. And is that yeah. is that going to be the situation get, in the new place? No, we're going to go You're going on. full bore? Yeah. So it's a whole it's new deal. Amazing. Yeah. And so uh, tell us about <laughs> that. While we're there, yeah. tell us about the whole new deal. What's the new row going to be? Um, like? Well, I don't know if I can talk about it too much. So I'm trying to keep it a little bit secret, but um, it will be on. Well, this, you know, no one's listening to this. That's true. Don't worry. Well, this is, this is in the past, essentially, right? So by the time this comes out. It's coming out pretty soon. Was it? So, yeah. All right. I don't know when we're going to release all the details, but we are moving to the west side. It'll mm-hmm. be on the southwest side. 
Um, and we are still going to be a speakeasy spot. We found we found a really cool location that is going to stick with that vibe. That has not been leaked yet? No. Oh, man, you're no. doing bre- better than the well, uh, quote-unquote get... administration. Well, I don't. Th- I think people stopped caring <laughs> about it, honestly. Our, uh, our... No, no, I think people really <laughs> care. I think it's it's... It's one of those, you know, there we have so much going on here, but right. I would think it's in the in the top five it's news the newsworthy restaurant events of back Portland. of people's minds, maybe. I think at that what po- happened at this is, point, because it's taken a while. Yeah, well I think what happened is people thought we closed in September when we closed B and T. They thought everything closed. So I think that for a lot of people they've just been waiting eight months, maybe, and they just got <laughs> they just they forgot about it. But um for us, we just actually just closed at the very end of February. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved out anyway, and uh, you know now we're dealing with all the <clears throat> the city stuff and everything to get everything dialed in so we can start doing our our build out. So are you in the back? You're going to be in the back of somebody else's restaurant? No, we're going to be in the middle of a building, um, and you will need to walk through a corridor to get there, and or take an elevator. There's two different ways to get to it. Oh, cool. So, so that's be... what you were looking for. Yeah, it was really hard to find something like that, too. Um, this space that we found just kind of fit the bill. It works really well. How long did you? How long were you on the search for that? It was six months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's not long. Well, we started in. <clears throat> we started looking for spaces uh, the beginning of summer, and was your lease up, or you just is this mm, time for? Our time for was, a change. It was time for a change. I, I think that um, I could go on. There's a whole story behind this this whole thing, my whole journey um, to lead to this point anyways. But um, long story short, we I ready to focus, was ready to focus and just do one, pour, pour everything into one concept. So, but talk a little bit about you know, you said you can't, you don't want to necessarily go into it, but talk a little bit about what the journey was, because that's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, I a long, it's interesting. It's a longer story, I guess. You might have a shorter version. I but have I, don't a, know. I can condense it. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we opened up, so after Finn was <clears throat> was a brainchild of mine, anyways. By the way, yeah, I love Finn. Yeah, Finn was fun. Yeah, that was yeah. great, and Finn had, was fun. That was good, yeah. and. Uh, I happen to you. You remember I was the first customer, paying customer. Gary argues with me. Yeah, by the way, I think about you might. <laughs> you might have to debate that with. Well, him. I was the first one. He was definitely. Uh, well, I was the first one when you were open, when right. you were officially open, sitting yeah. there. No, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I and it was completely uh, random because right. I was in town and thinking, oh, I'm hungry. What can I do? And I, <laughs> I, I looked at Eater, and it said. Uh, Finn opens at five o'clock, and it, I looked at my clock. It was like yeah. my watch was like four fifty. This is the only city where someone that has no pedigree can open up a restaurant, and it gets any kind of press whatsoever. I wanted to ask you about that <laughs> because if you look at your pedigree before that, I mean, you spent oh, yeah. time in lots of restaurants, but I mean, you were doing some sort spectacular of. stuff right off the bat at Finn, and you before that you right. weren't working at a place like Finn no. or like Row or like Block and Tackle. Well, maybe like Bach and Tackle. I don't know. More like that than yeah. anything else. But um, yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't go through the ranks of any prestigious restaurants or anything when I was when I was cooking. And actually, I didn't even have that many years of cooking under my belt when I when I started that. So it was 
it was one of those things where I moved, I uh, started cooking in, in band um, in two, probably either late 2006, early 2007 anyways. And, and then when 2008 happened, the Ben got hit really hard. Of course, Portland did too. Oh, uh, Ben just got hit before Portland did. Oh man, it was brutal down there. Yeah. I mean, Bend is all tourists. It's, you just need people coming in there to spend money and that was gone. Still? Is that still the case? Oh yeah. Yeah, I think so. I and think more pe- more people live there now. It's mm-hmm. definitely the population. I think when I was living there was 50,000 and now it's uh, like 90,000 something. Yeah, like that. so that's in 9 years. That's a lot. It's yeah. a big big growth. Most of those are I think California transplants as well. So that was happening when I was down there too. Um, but I had a year down there and that was like really my first restaurant job down there. I, I had just been teaching myself to cook up, up until that point. And I couldn't really afford to, um, go into restaurants before that. Um, I had a, a well-paying job and I had two kids and it was just one of those things that wasn't in the cards for me at that point yet. I didn't know you had two kids. Well, I have three now. You have three now. Yeah, and how yeah. old are they now? I got, well, Haley's going to be 18 um, in May. Holy shit. Yeah, she's going to college next you year. Could, you, you could be dating her. And I don't mean to, I mean, no, but you, I don't, you don't look much older That's, than 18. I have a friend that uh, just got married to a gal that is the same age distance <laughs> between me and my daughter. That makes well, sense. I didn't mean it like that. I'm just saying you look, you look very young. Oh, well. So, yeah, I mean, and by the way, I, I almost want to back that up because <laughs> I didn't mean to sound like reference that guy again. But, um... But yeah, so 18, and then how old are your others? Uh, 13 and 4. Wow. So. Yeah, you, you didn't give yourself a real break there. No. It's not going to be the, uh, well, well, 18's off, we can go enjoy ourselves. Yeah, no, at that point, it was, it was <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a four-year four year spread between my daughter and my first son. Um, that always seemed like the right amount of time between mm-hmm. two kids That's anyways. But I had, I had Haley, obviously that was unexpected. I was very young. And uh, that ch- set me on a completely different path altogether. I wasn't even thinking about what I wanted to do when when that happened. You know, that was still in college. I was just I just finished. What my were you studying in college? For sports. I was just I went to college to do sports. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I I was <clears throat> going to major in English at that point or communications, whatever. What most athletes <laughs> major in, I think at that time, but. Um, I was majoring in that, and I wasn't into sports, so well, or something like it's that. It's definitely the the if you don't know what you're doing, and that's what they tell you to go into as a as an athlete. Right, go into communications or, or English. I don't think that's <laughs> as much the case any longer. Maybe I don't know. You I'm sure communications is a lot different now than it was in ninety. What ninety seven? <laughs> I graduated with a degree that is related to that. Yeah. in you know nineteen eighty one. Right. So. And and in those days, you could graduate well with that and be okay. Yeah, the degree was not <clears throat> easy enough for me because I did not do too well in in my first year of college. So school wasn't your thing. No, I just didn't want to. I didn't really like anything that I was. I, I had a couple classes that I loved, and I got good grades in those. But most of the other classes is just school was was never my thing. I like to learn what you know I want to learn, and it was it's really tough to pay attention past that. So. Well, it's interesting because you have quite a meticulous thing going on right now where you have to, you had to have been studied to do as well as you're doing. And um, so at yeah. some point you figured it out, but I diverted you from yeah, it's, your story it of what happened, what caused you to want to move from, or, or the journey from old row to the upcoming row. Um, 
in a short, short and sweet answer, I, Finn, it starts with Finn, really. I mean, that's what I wanted. That was the concept. That was what I wanted to do. And then when Finn closed, uh, abrupt, it was pretty abrupt. Um, and, and for not really any kind of reason I could foresee, cause it was only, we were six months in, you know, that was, we, we were just starting jamming. We were, we were full every night. So it made zero sense to me, but, um, I wasn't the owner of that space. I was just the chef. So that space shut down and then I was, um, kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place again. And, uh, it was contacted by my partner now. And uh, he's out of, he's originally from Portland, but he lives in LA right now. Um, and so he, uh, we got together and we're just kind of discussing um, concepts. And at that time, I think that the allure of having a casual spot uh, that we could, could maybe grow into something that you could open up multiple locations sounded good to me. And so we were um, looking at what Portland didn't have, and at that time there was nothing. Ramen wasn't really existing here. It's pretty incredible that, that, oh, man. that you would say that. And that wasn't that long ago. What, five, six, five yeah, years ago? Yeah, five years ago. And now that's I, I have whined on the uh, on, yeah, the, on this everywhere. podcast. It's like, do we need more of this? Uh, right. So Well, Portland does go through its phases of, of restaurant style and multiple of them opening up, it seems. Yeah. But yeah. Um, anyway, this is Chinese year. This is the uh, Chinese yeah. Year. Well, that's great because yeah. we don't have. I mean, we could use a lot of those restaurants. Though. Right. There's but just. I guess back in 2012, someone said, "Why doesn't we need some ramen?" Places. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we did that, um, and uh, it would. It, we had a pretty successful first year, but it just wasn't successful enough. And I didn't want to, it wasn't a kitchen um, that I was passionate about working, you know, 14, 15 hour days and six days a week. It was just, if I was going to do that, I wanted to do Finnegan. Mm -hmm. So um, after the first year that was open, uh, it was actually doing well enough to where we were thinking about looking for a second location. Um, for Wafu. For Wafu, and then I pulled myself out of the kitchen, and then um, for whatever reason, uh, business just really started declining, and I think a lot of that had to do with Division Street was just a mess after that first year that we were on there. Do, you don't think it had anything to do with you pulling yourself out of the kitchen, and I, and was that hard for you because that would be the first time you did that? Yeah, it's it's almost it's it's tough. It was really tough. Yeah, first time doing that. I, I didn't even know what to do, like. How do I how do I run something without being in the middle of it all the time or from a different lens? Anyways, it was it was uh, <clears throat> totally um, totally the wrong move and the wrong time to do that. Anyways, um, and in the business, I think um, uh, there was multiple factors involved with uh, why business got slow. But a huge factor was that division. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to forget the, the uh, like the war zone that it used to be. I mean, it was like we were without like a road for a year almost. There. Mm -hmm. It was just constantly being torn up all the time, right by our space too. Because there's you know five brand new buildings right where we were at. Though that was really tough. And there's no accommodation from the city. For no, that, right? They don't say no. Here's a like they don't make the 
I think they should, I I would think it would make sense. I mean, I've never really looked at the issue. Yeah. But it would make sense to charge the developers a certain fee and compensate that would be cool. People who are just inconvenienced and sure. whose businesses are hurt. They definitely by this. need to come up with something like that because, well, it was. I think they were just handing out permits left and right, though, because you do not need to build five buildings in one block at the same time. That just yeah. seems like something that you would be like, no, let's do one at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was pretty rough, anyways. But now it, <clears throat> we thought we were just kind of holding out in that space too at that time. At the end, it was three years long, three years of construction, just mm-hmm. brutal construction. And then when that was done, we're like, all right, this is our time. It's going to be amazing. People are going to be swarming here. And it, they weren't. <laughs> so, so there were there, there weren't enough residents in those new buildings yet. Nobody, to... I mean, there isn't still, there's not. I don't, people go to division, but there's not, um, th- those are probably like half full right At now. At this point in time, I mean, when you're charging 2100 bucks for a studio apartment, it's going to. If you would have told someone <laughs> back in the mid two, th- you know, two thousand five, yeah, that at some point it was going to be that oh, much man. for a studio on division, you'd be laughing at them. Yeah, yeah. It'd be pretty crazy. But yeah, so uh, year in after Wafu, um, when the business started slowing down, we uh, we had that whole entire restaurant space, right? The back room was full when it was busy, um, and then when business settled down, that back room was never never occupied. Um, unless maybe we were doing a private party. But um, so we were trying to, we kind of had this idea to do Finn, a Finn-like restaurant in that back room as a speakeasy. So that would be kind of a fun a fun thing for us to do and a cool story. Was that your idea? Were you working, are you still working with Kurt, with Chef's Table? No, not anymore. I didn't think so. Yeah, no, we're on our own. But was that a decision that you that he was in on at the time? Um, I think we were all talking about it. Yeah, I can't remember uh, exactly, you know, who, how that idea came up. Um, I just remember uh, watching a documentary on Japan and just where all the restaurants are down there, and just you know they're like in the sixth floor of some office building and then you walk into like a bar mm-hmm. you know just stuff like that so i have always thought that that was a really cool idea um and it seems like there's a lot of little hidden gems that way and your i think your customers different when you have a restaurant like that cuz it's really people seeking out I was just the experience say they have to find you and which makes it so much better um i think uh I think you have a much more adventurous palate and a lot, lot less um, uh, things you have to deal with, you know, that, that every other restaurant has to deal with on a daily basis. Did, were, when people came into Row, were, or when people come into Row, I don't know whether to talk about it, past right. tense or future tense, <laughs> present tense, but um, are they always uh, educated as to what, the, what to expect? No. Or do you have some strange situations you have to deal with and explaining what it's all about um every so often i think most people know that they're going to an all seafood dinner um it is amazing how you'll get people that'll show up and be like oh yeah i'm allergic to shellfish you mm-hmm. know at, <laughs> after the fact over here is the door <laughs> yeah then <laughs> we're like uh it's pretty tough for us in that back. We're we're not like a full kitchen, right? So right. It's it's really hard to for us to accommodate after the fact, but we most of the time are able to figure out. something. Do you have something aside? And put aside just in no, case. No, we don't have room to put <laughs> aside in that space. But 
Um, we have definitely over the four years that we were back there started developing when we're doing our menu, we're developing it for instances like that. So we can just, if it happens, we're like, oh, well, this is how we can reconfigure the menu for this person if it happens that way. Because you're going to get that in 2017 or 15, oh, sure. whatever. That's going to happen in Portland, Oregon, and you know, yeah. with specific absolutely, dietary. it happens all the time. Yeah. yeah, and the easiest one for us, especially to deal with seafood, is gluten. We get a, a, the whole gluten intolerant thing, which happens, you know, two or three times a night in our space, which is you know, ten percent of our, our guests if it's three people. But 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 it's not a it's not a high gluten. We don't have. Yeah, I mean, nothing. <clears throat> there's soy some soy sauce that. You know, but that's really where most of it comes from, um, which you can we can sub things out for and, and do different do different items. You can use fish sauce instead of soy sauce sometimes for different sets and whatnot. But do you have dry toast? <laughs> no dry toast. So you told me a thing? story that where you had oh, that was... some dry toast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do get some pretty crazy well, <clears throat> I think the nature of being in a secluded back room restaurant is you get people that they're looking for the secluded back room to, to go on their their evening out with whoever they're going out with. You so know, we, there, there's not a lot of, now that you mention it, there's not a lot of Instagramming going on from Row. First of all, it's dark. It's fairly dark. It's really dark. Um, but yeah. yeah. People are looking for a more discreet. They're not ex- there. Yeah. I don't think people are there to, uh, trophy, they're not trophy hunting in that respect, I don't think. Oh, is that what we're calling it? Yeah. Oh man, is that what I'm doing? Trophy hunt? I don't know. <laughs> I do a little of it. So, but well, it's kind of like that, right? You hunt and then you you put your uh, yeah. I, your I'm often thinking whatever, about right? it. Does it really matter? Do people? You know, I'm, I'm kind of in the food world, world so it's yeah, kind of like, sure. oh, Chris is doing this, and right. it's not a big deal. Sure. On the other hand, there's sometimes where I just and many times if I'm having a really nice time with someone, yeah, I'm not even think. I don't want to think of posting anything. Absolutely. I just want to be there. Yeah. I think um, it's definitely, I I think we came up with that term in the back restaurant as the trophy hunters. Good. (laughs) So you had some other kind of hunters, though, with the dry toast. So tell us about that. Well, one of the guests that we had uh, was, it was, it was very awkward. We had a three top, which uh, came in and two, two females and a male. Um, And about after the first course is when we figured out what was going on. But this guy was, he was, um, I didn't hear the conversations. The servers were telling me the conversations. I won't, I won't speak of too much of that. Oh no, but. that's what we want to hear. <laughs> we want the, we want the tape, oh, no. we want the vid, the uh, audio. It's pretty, it, it's pretty graphic, the guy, what the guy was talking about. But it, it was essentially a clear after the first course. This guy was here with his um, dominatrix, uh, as, what's the what plural call, of yeah, dominatrix? Dominatrix. Court, you must know this. Yeah. Dominic, <laughs> Dominic, I don't know. That's a good question. I was trying yeah. to think of it earlier. Dominatrices. Maybe <laughs> it's dominatrices. Right, there you go. Yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Right, so. Um, but he was he was um, not allowed to speak until he was spoken to, mm-hmm. given permission. Uh, they weren't letting him. They ordered him the full, they all got the full chef's tasting everything, wine pairings and everything, right? He, he didn't get to eat any of it. <laughs> he was not allowed to eat any of it, and he knew it though. He didn't have. Did oh, he, he was ha- loved did it. Did he have to ask uh, Mistress Emile? Can oh yeah. So there was that going on. Yep, he was referred to as um, she and her by the by the uh, 
the dominatrix. Yeah, and by the way, to have two dominatrixes, you're really you're really into it. He's into really, it. Yeah, he was. Imagine. Yeah, he was super into it. I <laughs> don't know if one one might have been a trainee. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a, uh, you know? shadowing. Yeah, right. job shadow. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that might have been the situation there. But uh, yeah, he was only allowed to eat dry bread, no water. Couldn't have his like they ordered him pairings and everything. They were just eating his food and drinking his wine. And were they flaunting it in front of him? Was that part of the deal? I'm j- I just find this yeah, amusing. it was pretty. Yeah, <laughs> they were definitely. Um, it was definitely uh, like were they talking about how good everything the was while he was getting thing the- was super high. Yeah, he had. Um, he w- he told. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you want to hear this. I guess you can always take it out. But <laughs> he had something in him. Okay. While he was sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> that well, it brings new meaning to you know. Can we, are you getting everything you need, or yeah. how's it? Um, yeah, well, that's good to know. How did you know that? He told our server. Oh, yeah. so yeah, so that was part of the, yeah. the whole deal. All was, right, I don't know how far we want to go into exactly. this. Exactly, no that's pun what intended. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm sure that goes on all over the place. Uh, you know, it goes on, I mean, and you just happen yeah. to. <laughs> we get we get often get. Um, we often get that kind of, not to that degree, that's a little bit more extreme, but we definitely get a lot of, that's a really young looking woman with that, you know, 70 year old man mm-hmm. kind of a situation, you know, like. Um, well, it's because you have one of the more discreet dining situations. Right, right, yeah. And uh, and it's good. But it's, you know, I'm glad we can provide a sanctuary for people. Yes. <laughs> All right, so now you're going to have a new sanctuary. So you, you right. talked a little bit about how you got to row, yeah, and how you started that, and then what was the decision to? Well, the passion has always been uh, uh, my heart and soul has always been in in row. Um, it, it it was honestly a nightmare trying to do both restaurants uh, for for myself. Um, it's it's a, it's it's one of those things where uh, I was <clears throat> Patrick and myself. You know, we were working 70, 80 hours a week just to do our With kids. four days of service in there. And uh, at the same time, and that was physical, on your feet, working, cooking the whole time. Right. Not, oh, we got, you know, five hours of office work to do in this. It was, no. It was like you get there at 930, you're done at 1 a.m., and you were on your feet cooking the whole entire time. Um, it was it was brutal. And that was for, you know, we did that for three and a half years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Until we made the decision to, uh, I guess that was four years we did that actually. And how many nights four a week years. was that? I'm just trying to get we were to open, you get to see your kids. Yeah, we were open four nights a week. Um, the answer, the answer is uh, during that period, not much at all. Um, we were open four nights a week, but we had a massive prep day one day of the week, one of those days uh, on Tuesday, and then we would do service Wednesday through through uh, Saturday, and then Sunday was really the day off, and then Monday was more of an admin day where you're calling in your orders and doing all your book work type stuff and everything like that. So it was not, not an easy business with, no with, with low margins. Uh, right. Yours might be a little higher margin because of the nature of the way you do it and what you do, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you don't have, um, well, w- with the one restaurant, you didn't have a, a lot of staff to well, deal the, with. The and, weird dichotomy of what, why we had to do it that way was that the front restaurant was always uh, not making money um, by such a degree that you know we couldn't afford to hire anyone else um, to help us out in that back restaurant. Once we shut the front restaurant down, um, 
all of a sudden it was a very manageable restaurant. We were able to bring in um, a couple people uh, to help in the kitchen, you know, one full-time, one part-time. And just that right there, um, we also had a part-time pastry person at one point uh, help us out for a little bit. And it was just like all of a sudden, like I, all I did was make sauce and cut a couple, like cut the sashimi at that point. It was, it was amazing. And so that really got me realizing how successful this, the concept was um, just from, even from a sustainability standpoint, I was ready to be done with cooking by the end of this four years until we shut that front restaurant down. I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is ridiculous. Why do I want, I don't want to live my life. Done with cooking. So what would you have done? What was in your mind? Like, okay, I'm not going to do this. I don't know. You were going to go back to college and do some sports? I that I uh, I don't know um, what I, I, what I would have done. Honestly, I could have done. I could have gone into. I, I uh, used to install wood flooring. Yeah, but that's that that's kind of insane because you're such a talented. You're so talented at what you do. I know. To walk away. From I was. It. I was. You know, when you reach that level of burnout, though, it's um, you just don't think about. You know, you think about how. I was just thinking about me being 60 and working like 80 hours a week. It's like, there's no way I could do that. I would I barely get I mean, my feet are shot now. Like my back's going out now, you know? Um, so I, I, I did, I was, uh, as like, if there's not a way that we can make this, uh, sustainable for everyone working there too, but a sustainable way to have a normal, um, a normal business and a normal life then the, to me there was no point anymore, you know, even for like for the art or whatever, you know, there wasn't a point in doing that, um, at, at that for me anyways. And so we're embarking on a period now where front of the house, back of the house issues are important with minimum wage and laws sure, that we have. Do you sure. see that as a jacking up the challenge for you? We've always, it's funny because we've um, always paid our cooks more than I think, um, uh, other restaurants uh, will tend to pay. Um, and then when this whole minimum wage thing started happening and um, you see the, uh, that's great. I think it's, a, I think that's totally fine. I don't, you know, you can, if you, as a, if you're a business and you are told you can, you can pay your entry level this, you're just going to do it, you know? Well, yeah, but then you've got the whole issue of then prices have to rise and what's to a certain happen? degree, yeah. Um, re- restaurants are tough in that respect because I don't think people respect what they're eating uh, enough for how much it actually costs. But I do th- have definitely seen that change in this city. I think people were just afraid to charge what they need to charge, and I think some places still are afraid to charge what they need to charge for their food. And I think there's also it's such a uh, interesting business in the respect that if you have a 50 seat casual restaurant, right. And you're on division and you're going to be busy on Friday and Saturday and the rest of the week, you're going to be slow. Like you're just, you're not going to make money period. You a casual restaurant needs to be full all the time. Um, and, and, you know, I guess most restaurants to a certain degree need that, but, I know from experience how much money you have to make in a casual restaurant and how many more hands are involved because you just, instead of making 30 portions of something, you're making 120, 150, you know, portions. And so it, it takes extra people to do that. It just costs more labor to have a casual restaurant if you're not really busy. Yeah. And I think you're battling two things. You're battling the 
uh, framework that people were working from mm-hmm. that they can go out and you could dine for two people right. for X, whatever that is, but it was very low. It has been very low in Portland. It's always been. There. And then, you know, you've got a very do-it-yourself. People around here can cook, mm-hmm. I think, yep. I mean, everywhere, but especially here, they're into the whole, they're into food culture and, and sourcing right. and markets. And, you know, if you judge it based on how much does this cost to make it home, well, you don't have Trent Pierce there and another right. 20 people or however many people there are and the, and the dishes and the, the taxes and the lights yeah, to pay for. Yeah, it's, it's a funny way of thinking about things. Like, how much is it? How much was this, t- you know, take to make it home? Well, you're not sitting down and being waited on anything. Yeah, but, no, and you don't have to clean. Well, and that's, that <laughs> is kind of another real interesting thing, though. If you think of all the factors that make a restaurant uh, desirable to go to, service is, to me, is huge. And it's just definitely has in our history of restaurants uh, of service has not been of the most importance in this town in this town yeah Yeah. and that's changed everything's changing so much over the last couple of years but you've got so many restaurants so where are you going to get skilled front of the house people to provide that service there and know how to do it well the thing is they're out there looking i think portland portland uh Five years ago, which is not that long ago, to now is, comp- as far as the food scene goes, is completely different. But we shaped the city to be a food destination for America um, by by having your Gabe Ruckers and your Naomi Pomeroy's doing what they did, you know, back when they were doing it. And people from New York writing about it and Chicago writing about it and L.A. writing about it. And then that <clears throat> that narrative has not changed over the last decade. And so now it's just in, I think it's just in America's uh, palate that Portland is just where you go to have great food at a great price. And we are still by far cheaper than any other city for, you know, my, our restaurant row, if you're going to get what we provide in another city, you're going to be spending double what you pay Really? at our space. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. San Francisco, Seattle. I mean, we get, we do, we get, um, the seafood that we bring in is um, same seafood that you're going to get at like a La Bernadette quality. Uh, we buy from the same purveyors. Um, and uh, if you have a four course at La Bernadette, you're, you're paying over 200 bucks. Um, and our restaurant was 75. So mm-hmm. it's, it's by, you know, that seems like a lot of money, but you know, it's also, if you were going to pick four items off of any menu in town with, you know, you're you're heading in that direction anyway. Yeah, you're at sixty, yeah. seventy, right. anyway. And, and a couple you're not of those are row. probably vegetables. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I do that math all the time, and I know it's not, it's not smart to do it because I, right. you know, but I'm. You actually get a better value at tasting menus. For, you get more bang for your buck. Yeah, you Definitely. do. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you do the math. You well, know. just the labor for every single plate that you're getting and everything, yeah, it's definitely... Well, the other nice thing about a tasting menu, and I've always felt this, is that you're eating things that you... you I think people aren't very adventuresome, generally. Right. And if they order off of an a la carte menu, they're going to order what they think. They're going to order what they think they like, but I think the important part about this city yeah. is trying things you've never experienced, well, or you wouldn't normally experience. Yeah, and I think the thing with the tasting menu, the way that it is approached at places such as Castagna and uh, at Beast and, you know, at Roe, um, is we're, 
we definitely want you to eat a certain way. Most chefs want you to order a certain way, even if their restaurant is an a la carte. To have the actual experience that they want you to provide, you have to eat a certain way. And so the tasting menu forces you into that, and then you just enjoy the experience more. I mean, how many... um, how many times have you been to a multi-course or let the chef, like an omakase or whatever it is, and just enjoyed it a lot more? You get stuff that you probably wouldn't, if you're not adventurous, you get stuff that you probably wouldn't normally order. Right. And it's like, you know. And you may not like it, but you now know. And sure. Or better, you may love it and think, man, I didn't, yeah. I never thought I would like this at right. all. Or you get, a lot of times you get stuff that you had, you know, I had uni at this sushi bar on the, you know, the Oregon coast and it was awful. And then you, it's like, I didn't know That's, uni could taste like this. Right, all the time. All the time, that stuff happens. I I love it when chefs decide what to eat. And, in fact, when we were doing our trips overseas, you go a week, really, without ordering a thing. Right. It's really it's. That's a whole week. It's yeah, really cool. It's amazing. And I'm, <laughs> I just started putting it into that context because I would talk to perspe- people who want to come on the trips. And I yeah. say, you, you're not ordering. Jose's ordering for you the whole time, which is part of the oh, part of cool. the experience yeah. so um yeah so tasting menus i'm sorry i got off on a little track there oh i just I, you know it's one of those things it's um when you talk about i i think about how restaurants work and why some do and some don't even if they're the same concept seemingly um and um you know a lot of people will be like oh it's marketing and this and that and it's a, yeah to a degree, there's definitely something that they're creating about, you know, there's a mystique that you're creating about the restaurant to get people in, but once you're there, why it keeps you coming back? Um, and that can be, that could be a, a lot of different things. Maybe there's one dish that you have that keeps you coming back, or maybe it's the, ser- you know, service they know me here, you know? That's why, you know, neighborhood places are great, because you can go in there and they know you, and they... Mm-hmm. You know, I go out, have my and you can get your seat. I have my bar in it. town that I go to, and I walk in the door, and I have a shot of tequila and a beer waiting for me, and that's I mean, I right, keep going. Are you back. tell us what that is. Uh, I go the real man. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, right down the street too. Yep, fried chicken after service. Uh, I usually, um, I usually try. I'm trying not to go there as much for the fried chicken. <laughs> But yeah, I usually I definitely have had plenty of fried chicken from there. Yeah, not a bad not a bad thing to have down the street that's open when you close. Oh yeah, yeah. There's not much that's open when we close. We usually we get we get done at like one thirty. So is that still open? Oh yeah, yeah. It's open till two thirty. Oh wow. Yeah, when you get reel them in, mm-hmm. Court, you could hit it on the way into into work. They open you early pre, too. Pre breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And hit it at ten o'clock in the morning if you want. That place. Is well, he's coming in to work at like four. Four. Oh, are you? To work at Kink. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. What time are you actually driving in? About that, between four and four thirty. Oh, Depends yeah. Depends on how many times I hit snooze. You need yeah. to have reel them in. Just leave something right outside the door just, and just have a deal a, with do them. Do a drive right? by. Yeah, drive yeah. by, drive by chicken. Yeah, sure. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, so was is, was Roe a neighborhood hang or was it a destination? No. Yeah, I didn't think Rowe's so. Roe's only destination, yeah. And honestly, a lot of North, I don't even people know. People from the Northwest, from Northwest Portland, is that? Yeah. We definitely have uh, regulars from, from that side of town um, that we know. And so who's the most regular, who is the, is the most regular customer? How often, I, not who, personally, <laughs> how often do they come? I was going to say, um, we have people that come once a month. Uh, but you don't have, have two times a week. People. No, no. I mean, yeah, not, no. We definitely have had people that 
have come in two times in a week, but not on a regular basis. Right, so, right. Well, that, yeah, that it's I, not so, really a restaurant for that either because, you know, we have the same menu for a week. So if you come in and grab the tasting menu, you know. Right, but every, reason. like, you know, a lot of people go to Long Pond, have to be there every month to try the different menus. Oh, so, right. so are they, I just was curious as whether they're coming every week because you're doing something new. Um, No, not not to that degree. That, I think that would, that would be amazing. A so subscription no. program. So the new row, yeah. is it going to be different than it will. Yeah. the old row? Yes. Yes and no. I mean, there's, you're going to. I, uh, what I can say is that you will see elements of the old space uh, here and there and those that have been in the restaurant a couple times and some of the stuff that was uh, on the walls maybe you'll see in different spots of the restaurant, that kind of thing. Um, I think that uh, we are going to go to just a two-option menu that are that is uh, – we get a lot of requests for the tasting menu and we have only offered one per night one table per night because uh, anyone that's been in there knows that there's just two of us in the kitchen and it's really small. And then that um, the way that we were doing the menu, which was a four course with options on each course line uh, or the one tasting menu per night, that was about what we could handle. We switched it. Once we knew that we were there was an end date, it was kind of time for us to experiment with some stuff. So we switched it and did a long menu, short menu. And it was there was no choices. And actually, what we found out was people were way more into that, whether it was the short menu or the long menu, because people did not want to have to make decisions when they came in there. So you gave them four courses; they made a decision on each course. That was ori- originally yeah. right. So, so now you were just now we just did like here's our short menu, here's our long menu. Which one do you want? We offered it to everybody. And which one sold better? The long menu. Yeah, it was it was like ninety percent long menu, ten percent short menu. Oh. Um, well, that's a nice learning experience before you start. Right. You don't want to. You it don't want to spend time learning. It made us realize place. even more though that I think that we're already a de- we're a destination restaurant. You know, it's it's a reservations ahead of time kind of a place. How far out are you usually? Um, it really depends on what time of year it is. We're usually for the weekends. It could. It, it's usually about three weeks out. Pretty solid, but when it comes down to summertime, our summer will book up on the weekends. Uh, for we had been taking reservations three months in advance. It's another thing that we're probably going to be changing. Um, this new space will allow us to. One thing that taking reservations three months in advance does when you have a really small space is if you ever wanted to book out a private party, you right. can't. You will not do right. that. Um, so that's one thing we're going to change is is doing six weeks out instead of three months out. So that we have the ability to to do uh, private events and mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and actually our space is going to be a little little bit uh, larger, and we'll have some more flexibility for having private events while we're still open and that kind of a thing too. We'll have a private dining room that we we'll have a section we can make into a private dining room. Do you ever leave any opening open uh, seats for walk-ins? We couldn't do that in the space. I mean, we only had twenty two seats, so there was just it, it would we had to have those filled. Right, it's too uh, high a percentage. To yeah, go everybody's sold every night. You know, when you say walk-ins, you're coming in at seven or seven thirty as a walk-in. Right. You don't come in at five. You know, right. you don't see that. So uh, we couldn't do that. But in the new space, um, we have we have some interesting uh, areas in the restaurant that. You know, we're already secluded, but we also have the ability to, we have private tables that are kind of off to the side in their own little area, too, that we're going to have. Um, and this is just all off of constant requests that we get 
when people are making reservations, mm-hmm. you know, can I have a private secluded table? And say, we don't have that, you know. So we've been taking notes for the last four years about what people are asking for and trying to put all that into this new space. Oh, cool. So you, this is this is the years of finally getting to exactly the way you want it to be, right? Because yeah, really. Roe was really a, an answer to a problem. It was... It was only supposed to be a supplement, right? To uh, when we first started, it was, it was a creative outlet and a supplement. I was thinking, you know, if we could do fifteen hundred bucks a month out of this, you know, make fifteen hundred dollars a month out of this space, that'll be helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> um, I didn't foresee it doing. I didn't foresee us doing more than uh, you know fifteen people a night ever. You know, and um, I'm, it's pretty cool how it how it's grown up. Uh, so, um, same kind of menu over the, you're going to keep the same menu? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, the difference is that we're going to be able to do, uh, we're going to have a lot more selection of seafood to choose from because now we can cook it, uh, in various ways as opposed to just one, Mm -hmm. which is one of the things that people don't, not everybody realizes when you go in there is that we have one cooking method. (laughs) That we can do. We can either butter poach or we can sous vide. Um, and that's yeah, that's it, right? We don't sear back there or anything. Yeah, but anything. it's still it was incredible well, what, what that you does, did with that. It, it's a discipline. It is. And what that does is uh, it makes you, uh, you – sous vide is not the, the answer for everything, right? It's good for v- specific particular things. People use it for everything, but it definitely does not make fish taste amazing all the time. There's definitely very specific fish that work really well sous vide. And so we've had to uh, narrow that down a lot to the, to the two that we've had that work really well sous vide. Um, And that was, that was a year long process of trying, trying things out and having it not work and, and then finding the the perfect stuff too. So um, we will still have one, sous vide fish on the menu because uh this uh salmon that we bring in is that's the best way to cook it if you cook it a million you know if you grill it sear it bake it you know or sous vide it you're gonna the sous vide is the one that you'll pick it's the best one so um that's kind of the approach that we're going to take to the menu at this point is what's the best sous vide what's the best seared fish what's the best grilled fish and we're gonna that'll be the menu so that's very cool. So anybody yeah. who has been to Roe and loved it, uh, or even maybe not loved it, right. they have reason to come <laughs> and try. Yeah, you know it's going to be different. Well, uh, the the critique that we've that we've gotten on our menu is uh, that you know everything is of similar texture, right? So it's like, well, yeah, we can't. Oh. There's no crispy skin on our menu right now. Right, there will be. There will be. Yeah. So I want to ask you because you you touched on this before. Mm-hmm. You didn't really have a lot of experience before. Right. Then you were kind of making light of. Yeah. You're getting an eater story for a guy who was uh, at Foster Burger right, right before that. <laughs> and so what? When was the moment that you said to yourself, "No, I can really, I can do this." I mean, and I'm talking about it at a fin level and a row level. Well, it's always been the idea ever since I decided I wanted to cook. And no, I, I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't spend years in a kitchen learning. So I just taught myself. And, and how'd you teach yourself? I just grabbed every book I possibly could and read and tried everything. 
learned, learned how to make sauces on at home and learned how to do all the knife cuts at home. And just, um, if there was, when I was getting, when I decided I wanted to, at that point, food network was actually still a food network and not what it is now. Right. And you would, you could turn it on. There was like a series of shows, um, at that point where, uh, it was, um, like the old school Emerald show, um, there was a, a Molto Mario show and there was a, a series of different shows, but they showed you like actual legitimate cooking techniques. Right. So you can just see that. I mean, cooking's not, I think people are just afraid they're going to mess it up. So they do, as opposed to just being, being confident. And be, if you make a mistake, it doesn't really matter. Especially when you're trying it at home. For yourself. <laughs> so was there anyone or any one book or any one chef that was more influential for you than others? Um, that's a good question. I don't think so. I think that it's more a conglomeration of seeing different the the way different guys look at food that lets you carve out your own lets it, it's okay for you to carve out your own way to look at food. Um and that's constantly changing too and it should be otherwise it just you're just bored at that point. So there will always be an evolution in in that but as far as, um, you know, I I got like the CIA textbooks. I just bought them and mm-hmm. just went through those. Those are great, right? Those are just fundamentals. I mean, the French Laundry cookbook is obviously a pretty, it is a textbook when it comes to cooking as mm-hmm. well. And there's a lot of techniques in there that are written down incorrectly in the book. And then once you figure out actually how to do them, it's amazing. <laughs> so we, are you, uh, quickly, because I want to get to a little yeah. treat that you brought yeah, today, yeah. which is your guitar. <laughs> um, but do you ever see yourself writing a cookbook? Um, if I was not commissioned by a place to do it, or if someone was, if they approached me and said, we just, we just want you to write it any way that you want, then I probably would. But I don't think I would want to follow a formulaic version of a cookbook. I would, mm. I have an idea for a cookbook that is much more, um, taking kind of the mystery out of the cooking part of it mm-hmm. and making it a little bit more simplified. So the way that I look at <clears throat> um, sauces is you can just, you just take the simil you almost classify stuff by the similarity in them. Right. So, um, and cookbooks don't, the cook textbook, textbooks, uh, textbook cookbooks that I've purchased, um, don't tell you that stuff. You just kind of, you can see it and figure it out, but they don't really, it doesn't, it's not like blatantly in front of you that mayonnaise is hollandaise is, you know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it, they, they don't come out and just say all these things to you. Yeah. It takes time, I think, to get uh, yeah comfortable enough with it to be able to identify all that. Right. Everything. But I think that it gets you think, once you realize that you just, you stop thinking about it as, as that. And you realize that I can emulsify anything. I can emulsify a hundred different kinds of things together and make, and then it's, technically not that sauce anymore, but it's still the same thing, mm-hmm. you know? So I would, I think at some point, you know, down the road, maybe something of that nature would be cool, but cool. I would probably be just be doing it on my own. Oh, no, it'd be nice to have a publisher. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Come to you and say, we want your book. Here's, yeah. your, here's what you're, I don't think it works like this. I don't Guarantee think it works like that. Be, I know but, uh, the story I read with Grant Atkins was that when he was doing the Alinea cookbook, he ended up, they just did it themselves and then, a publisher picked it up after the fact. Uh, yeah, well, that, that yeah, I'm sure that can happen. Yeah. I'm sure that's happened in this town too. Sure. 
as a as an adjunct. So yeah. let's get you a secondary music <laughs> career if uh, you ever decide that uh, right. you're burned out. Yeah. Let's get well, you. Let's get you on track. Busking on the, the corner. Great. Thank you. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans. Unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupans Markets. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 